Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 40. My name is James, and today I am excited to bring back to the show L.B. Muniz. L.B. is, of course, one of my favorite guests to have on the show, and I promise you this won't be the last time he's here. We have been on each other's shows a couple of times, and we always just have really good conversations. In this one, I wanted to talk to him about some criticisms that we've had of libertarian strategy, and in particular, the L.P. Mises Caucus strategy, And also, I wanted to talk to him about his thoughts on intersectionality, which he's written about back in October and hasn't really expanded on in his podcast like he usually does. So I wanted to bring him on to my podcast so that we can chat. Before we get into this conversation, though, let me tell you about Renegade University's Texas Weekend. If you want to hang out with me, Thad Russell, Buck Johnson, Scott Horton, Cody Wilson, who ended the gun control debate, the great economic historian Deirdre McCloskey, Hotep Jesus, and Jack the Perfume Nationalist, who you might not be familiar with, but I promise you, you'd like to be, head over to blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas to sign up. I have attended one of Thad Russell's weekends in Washington, D.C., and I tell you, it's the time of my life. You have educational seminars, you go out for dinner and drinks, you may or may not consume other substances. It is just a ton of fun. There's going to be about 100 people there. We're going to be hanging out on Buck Johnson's property and eating some of the best barbecue in the world in the barbecue capital of the world, Lockhart, Texas. So I'd love to see you there. Head to blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas to sign up today. And with that, here is my conversation with Mr. L.B. Muniz. L.B., welcome back. James, I'm happy to be here without a hangover. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> we we worked through those in our own little individual ways this morning. So that's great. Yes, we, uh, we were texting last night um, from our respective bars and clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, postponing this interview was probably a good decision. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, the, I'm in the Uber. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be that guy. I'm just going to text him now and be like, dude, I don't think I can make 11 a.m. I'm yeah. just going to, let's do noon. Because yeah. I know I can wake up and be ready to go by noon. It's, uh, you know, I, I can... I can be like at a customer at 8 a.m. with a hangover, but I don't have to like think deeply There's not a lot uh, in, my, in my day job. So, well, that's not entirely true, but not like this. All right. So uh, it's been, well, it's been a long time since we talked last, mm-hmm. like a couple months. The, the, I think the interview I posted much more recently, and that's because there was like at least a month or so gap between our actual interview and, um, or conversation really, and the time that I posted it just because I'm, I was being very delinquent and thank God for Podsworth media, uh, getting me on my toes as far as, as far as releasing these things on time. Um, the, it seems like the libertarian world has kind of blown up since then. Um, so yeah, why don't we, why don't we kind of start there? You, you tweeted, uh, or posted on your Substack and mm-hmm. a, a quick piece about just don't be poor. Yep. Basically, um, it's kind of Matt Erickson's solution to everything is mm-hmm. if you don't like the government, make the taxes irrelevant. Um, what? Yeah. Why don't you kind of, I guess, first summarize that and your and your kind of take on it? So this has been, you know, and to take another step back, like, OK, there's this side on more of the theoretical um 
you know, just actors, you know, us content creators trying to create content, I guess, work in the space, advance ideas. There's that aspect of it. But then a couple of weeks before that, we also did see a legitimate scandal in the, in the, in the structure of the LP as well mm-hmm. since the last time we talked uh, on, on a show. So it's kind of interesting to see it on both, uh, in, in multiple elements. This is manifesting itself in multiple elements of yeah. this larger liberty libertarian space. Um, so basically for episode 100, Clint Russell made a great choice and he had on two people who his audience was going to hate. Um, right. Because Clint is very like, I, from, I don't listen to his show a lot, but from my interviews with him, he's very like just in this space of, you know, LPMC, nothing wrong with it. I'm a part of it myself. Mm. Um, of this LPMC, like, you know, in the tradition of Dave Smith, if you will. And it's kind of, and it's, and it's just a show that doesn't, that isn't going to want to necessarily hear what, um, what, what the other guys were saying. And, you know, both these guys, both the other guys are kind of doing, I think they're doing different things. I'm going, I, if anybody is a careful reader, they'll notice that I did only, other than the fact that I tagged him and that I mentioned that he was part of it in the piece, I'm, I don't address anything that Cyprian or f- who's formerly known as Vin Armani, I don't really address any of his claims or any of his arguments. And I've kind of done that on purpose in writing I could get into it now, but it, but so I'm focused on what Matt said because that's what that's the clip that went viral. Sure, and you're a, you're a Jason Stapleton fan, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've so, listened. I've listened to Jason, so that's where it's one of those interesting things. Is I've consistently listened to Jason Stapleton and Dave Smith over the last few years, uh-huh. and so I, I guess have like a I, I would say maybe a, a more unique perspective of kind of understanding the context of what Matt Matt is talking about. Maybe not necessarily in his king-pilled context, but certainly in this wealth creation, this application mm-hmm. of liberty to building wealth, power, and influence. I'm a believer in it. I think it. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of practical experience there, and a lot of practical advice. And but it's not for everyone, right? Like one of the one of the first things that you know, one like that's part of the idea is like you know everything. It's your fault if you don't like where you are. It's not the fault of the people around you. It's your fault. Take the responsibility and then figure out what you can do from there. And on a personal note, you know, leaving aside the theoretical argument, it's that kind of a mindset shift, shift, shift has legitimately helped me become a better, more professional person, more productive person as a result of it is pushing myself like I, without, you know, I've, I've thought about having a show for years, but it was listening to a show like Jason's that was like, you know what? I am good enough to do this. I can actually dedicate myself and do 365 days of content, which I reminded myself recently that I've pretty much kept up with save a few days that I've posted at least a tweet every single day this year, including, you know, four articles a week, a podcast, interviews and things like that. But so I think that's the thing is I think the message was lost. And I think Matt, I think Matt Erickson knew what he was doing when he was saying, you know, your, your problem is that you don't want um, <laughs> the people who aren't looking Here's, here's what I've witnessed with this, because I guess maybe let's read the quote, right? That might be mm-hmm. the best thing to do here. Um, and I wrote it out so I can do it. So he's talking, he's criticizing it, and he's saying, we just want to spread liberty. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to spread liberty. Okay, that's kind of a rhetorical thing. It works. But this is the point that everybody went re-over, as, as people are fond of saying. You don't have liberty. You have the liberty to do something. So what do you want to do that you can't do right now? And a lot of people will point to like income. They'll go and say they don't want to be taxed. It's not that you don't want to be taxed. It's that you want to have more money than you have right now. And when you're being taxed, it's making you have less money. 
So why don't you make more money? And they'll take some of your money, but why don't you make so much money that taxation is an inconvenience? That's what everybody went crazy over. <clears throat> and he's expounded on this later, and it's very obvious in a sense. It's, it's this idea of, unless you're born a libertarian, and God bless you if you are, um, you're not born into the sense and you're not born into an understanding that taxation is theft. That doesn't come. That's not something that it's not like understanding that a snake might harm you. Yeah. Right. Like it's not the same kind of information. It's it's so what he was, what he, and he, what he said elsewhere. And I agree with, it's like, okay, so the, you, you go, you work, you get your first paycheck and you, and some of the money's taken out because it's going to taxes. And then, you know, you say, Hey, what's this? And then somebody comes along and says, Hey man, did you know taxation is theft? It's like, yeah, taxation is theft because they stole this from me. And by the way, they are stealing that from you. But what does that mean? And, and that's, a great, that's a great principle to hold up to and to ascribe to. But how do you actually achieve a sense of autonomy, which is to say a sense of freedom in your life? And, to, and one answer to that is obviously have money and have wealth, more importantly, and have skills that keep you employed. And you know, more specifically, have build your human capital and make sure you have valuable skills that are rare and specialized so that people want to hire you and, and that so you can choose what you want to do with your life. I think in any discipline, in any idea, like the idea, it, I find that to be a very empowering thing. I, I really do. And, but I also understand where if you're on the wrong side of that conversation, it's really tough to hear. Because guess what? It was really tough for me to hear at first too. And I made I make a specific mention in the piece of like my 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 personal story of having like a mountain of student debt for no good reason, and like I pay a very nice mortgage payment every single month to my my loan servicer, and I believe that's an injustice. I believe it's unjust that I have to pay these student loans back, mm -hmm. and I could not pay those loans and have horrible credit and have my grandparents' credit be destroyed, so where they can't get the things that they need to get. And to where they, you know, to where I can't get a credit card and I can't travel or, you know, it's difficult for me to find good housing or I can suck it up. I can work my butt off. I can make sure that I'm keeping focused on things that make me money and I can, you know, figure things out. And for a long time, I was struggling, struggling, struggling. And finally, you know, it's how does everything happen a little bit and then all at once. And now I'm in a position where I'm relatively comfortable. I'm not where I want to be in regards to my finances, but that that weight off my shoulder is in fact what um what enabled me to do my show now and to and to write the content that I'm writing because I have this weight off my back of I don't I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. I don't know how I'm going to afford to live on my own as a man you know, you know by myself. I'm going to have to rely on people like my parents for the like these ideas these ideas really um they eat away at you and they eat away at your sense of self. And so it's really important to me that I work hard to be something that I want to be. And I think that's the spirit of what he's talking about. And he's purposefully saying it in such a way to trigger what he's referring to as people who only conceptualize themselves as being antagonistic to the state, which is to say, you're not pro-liberty, you're anti-state. And I also think it's triggering a particular dogmatism. And this is the point of the piece, by the way, which is hilarious because immediately everybody's going crazy and saying, but what about this point? It's like, okay, the point I address is that this is obviously triggering a cognitive dissonance. In my mind, these, these ideas are reconcilable. I've already reconciled them myself because I've been listening to both, you know, to all these different people for all this time. These points are reconcilable. Capitalists, of course, believe 
or people, proponents of free markets believe that you should be able to accumulate wealth and you should be able to have, you know, the life that you want to live provided you do, provided you do it ethically. So what's so complicated about saying it? Well, it's a particular way in which he's saying it. He's actually striking at a dogma of libertarian ideology, which is to say taxation is theft. And so if anything, if you say anything that's that like, justifies taxation in any way, you're going to react against it because, well, because you, you view the person as an antagonist, you, you're entering the conversation antagonistically. You're not entering the conversation in a frame of understanding. You're entering the conversation as how can I prove this person wrong? And if you do that, you're going to figure out how to prove somebody wrong very, very easily. Okay. So <clears throat> yes, everything that Matt Erickson and that you said is true. Um, the problem is Matt Erickson was addressing Dave Smith and his fans. And Dave Smith and his fans aren't focused on taxation. Yeah, they do think taxation is theft, um, but there's not a single Dave Smith fan who would say that taxation is their number one issue or that, oh, uh, yeah, maybe I should go become an entrepreneur. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the best way for me to live the best life for myself. Like, everybody kind of knows that. Mm -hmm. What Dave Smith and his fans are talking about is... The fact that people are locked in cages for for drugs, that children in Yemen are being slaughtered, that people are being murdered by police. All the wealth, power, and influence in the world isn't going to fix that. So why, when Vin Armani and Matt Erickson are sitting here building these straw men, do they not address those very important issues that are the actual focus of Dave Smith and his, and his followers? Branding. I mean, I think, I think in part of it, it's that I think if you were to actually bring them into a conversation, um, I, I, uh, like, uh, Jason just had Michael Malice on his show to talk about the anarchist handbook. Mm -hmm. And so I'd encourage people to take a look at that because you'll see Matt in a context where he's speaking with somebody whom he, who he respects and somebody who has the intellectual, uh, ammunition to back up what he has to say. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, there's this, um, there's also an element of how well can you how well can you express yourself as well. I'm again I'm I'm kind of making I'm making my focuses here on Matt and defending this specific point because I disagree with a lot of I disagree with a lot of what uh, Cyprian said in that interview. I don't think a lot of what he said was particularly profound. It is um, this is something that we talked about the first time we spoke, and I've said this a few times now. There is power in the word of God. And that's something that ever that. And so where I, what I'm witnessing right now is a lot of people discovering the power of the word of God again. And that's, and this is when I, I, I mistakenly referred to as on your show, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, when it was Denzel Washington in the book of Eli. Oh yeah. But it's, <laughs> which I still can't believe I did. But if you listen to my show, you'll notice that I get names wrong all the time. <laughs> um, it's, it's this, th it's, it's very easy, right? Like religion exists for a reason. And part of that reason is that it gives you all the answers. So it's very easy when you enter the religious world, especially as you re-enter a religious world where you're kind of just coming upon these ideas again to let yourself get carried away. Um, and there's also the propensity for people to abuse the word of God, which we've witnessed, you know, Name any preacher, right? You can find you can find examples of preachers of various sorts. I remember listening to stories of people who, like, you know, oh yeah, the one day the preacher just left and had taken all the money of the church, and we have been going to that church for a while, right? There, it nothing, 
nothing about the word of God means that you don't, how do I, how do I want to say this? Just because you're speaking the word of God doesn't mean that you are a man of God. I think you do. I think you, I think you demonstrate that through your actions. And for me, at least it involves, it involves speaking with love. And that's something that I personally, like I have a temper. I can get really, I, I could do a show that's very bombastic and very firebrand, but I, I don't because I want to speak with love and I don't want to, I don't want to insult people out of turns. So it's, I, it, there was a lot said in that interview that I disagree with. But like I said, I think in a certain extent, there is something to be said for the fact that if I'm in a situation where I'm kind of going into an antagonistic audience, it makes more sense long-term for me to stick to my guns rather than, uh, you know, ra- rather than give a little bit, give a little bit to the other side. I, I don't agree with that strategy, but it is, a, but it is a logical strategy strategy and it's effective. That's the way I interpret it. Because I, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of Dave Smith and the piece. Like I, I pay both, I give both of them money. <laughs> like yeah. I find, I find, I find utility to both. I don't completely agree. I don't completely agree with the prescription that there is no utility in organizing with the LP. I don't completely agree with that, but I don't completely agree that reigniting the Ron Paul revolution is going to create a wave of change uh, across the country. I'd like to see that happen. That would be great. But what I do and what I'm trying to do and what all I ever try to do is I've, I've said, I want to make sure the people who don't want to get left behind don't get left behind. Mm-hmm. And I want to try and, ma- and, and I want the ideas of human freedom and human flourishing to, they need a home and they need, people need to carry these ideas forward because those ideas are kind of what have created the civilization that we enjoy today. I would, I would argue. Does, I don't know. Does that make sense? I think so. It's still, I, I am, I think that Matt's speech that you quoted on your piece is true and also is not responding to Dave Smith. Correct. And, and to me, so for instance, when he says, uh, I don't know what it means to spread liberty, liberty to do what? You yes. don't have liberty. You have liberty to do something. That's not true. I agree. That's, 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 that's a false statement. Like liberty as a concept is something. Um, I, I think that we would say that it's the, uh, the absence of aggression. Um, well, I think Dave like put that. this out. Yeah, well, and Dave put this out very, Dave put this perfectly in his, in his interview with Pinquinones, where he said, dude, what are you doing? You're spreading ideas. Like there's this, there's this element of if you have any kind of a public face and you are trying to produce content for the public to consume, you are in the business of spreading ideas, right? Yeah. So obviously you can spread an idea like liberty. I don't, what it, what that is in my mind is, you know, that's, he's just reframing. He's trying to reframe the idea to move the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I think there's some, in, but okay, so let's contend with the question though. How do you achieve liberty in your lifetime? Right. Well, there's I, you. You achieve personal liberty by building wealth, uh, and and then I mean power and influence. Obviously, those are as nebulous as liberty. Well, uh, power to do what? Influence mm-hmm. over whom? Yeah. Um. So, I, I would say that I would say that Matt is right. Achieving individual liberty is often um, about either achieving wealth or achieving some degree of autonomy such that you are separated from these um, institutions of control. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so agorism is a great way to do that as well. You don't have to be rich to be an agorist. You just have to be. You just have okay. to be willing to willing to sacrifice those creature creature comforts. I'm so glad you said rich, though, because and this is again where maybe I have the benefit of kind of understanding the the totality of kind of this way of thinking or this mindset, if you will, which is again a very practical mindset. This isn't trying to answer the con. This isn't trying to answer the big questions of the world, which is still something that I like to try and do. But this is how do you actually do this in practice and, and with you. But I'm glad you said rich because as, as we well know, as you know, students of economics, wealth is a relative concept. Mm. Wealth isn't absolute. There is no fixed pie. Wealth is relative. So I, the term wealth is used you know, as an idea, as a placeholder. In practice, it doesn't mean you're making you know, gobs of money, right? It could just mean, right. again, that you have the ability to take a vacation when you want you know, or like my, my, my occupation kind of allows me flexibility in my schedule. I don't have to be anywhere at a set time. And that's like, that's really helpful to me. And it makes me more productive. Mm -hmm. The fact, like the fact that I don't have to get to the office at 8am on the dot, I can be in my kitchen making coffee, you know, taking a phone call before I head into the office to do other work. Like that's, that's an element of this as well. And it's kind of the, and it's also a question of the type of work that you do. So I, I don't think, I don't know that there's, it's not that it's not so much that they're irreconcilable. It's that they're different conversations. Right. And so the large, and I don't know, this is one of, this is one of those like interesting things where I, uh, you're not going to get me to defend everything about like the mm -hmm. King pill mentality because I don't, I don't think I'm an adherent of it. Right. Like I hear some things I like, I hear some things I don't like. And as I say in the piece, you know, I, I want to, uh, how did I put it? Like, I want to, cohere things. I want to harmonize things that go together and I want to reject and I want to throw away things that are discordant. Mm. So I think there's, I think there's, it's completely harmonious to say that, you know, in this broader libertarian space, you as an individual should, if you want, you don't have to, I'm not forcing you to do anything. You should want to achieve the most for yourself in your life. And that looks different to, that looks different to different people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if tomorrow you told me that, hey, I'm going to give you your salary right now, your student debt is going to go away, but you have to live in a van for five years, touring the country, I'd, I'd, I'd take that deal in a heartbeat. Like, it's it's one of the, it's like, there, it, it doesn't have to be the yacht. It doesn't have to be the, it doesn't have to be the mansion. It doesn't have to be the Lamborghini, right? This is the, this is the caricature of, that's the caricature of capitalism that the socialist makes, is that wealth only has to be for the, wealth means the 1%. Well, you know, you don't have to be in the 1% to live a good life. You just live, yeah. you, but you do live a better, you, you know, you have a, a higher standard of living. Let's be, let's be technical. If you are in the 1% than somebody that's in the 10%. And wealth comes in forms other than money. I mean, you can Correct. have a wealth of time. You can have a wealth of, of like open space. I mean, if you're living in a cabin in the middle of the woods uh, and not being bothered by anybody, you have zero dollars to your name, but you are living the life that you want to live, then you're wealthier than you or I who are burdened with student loan debt, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain King Pill? Uh, no, I don't no? think so. Okay. I think, um, I, I so think I, read you... a, I read an article, uh, and I've, I haven't really watched the King Pill YouTube channel or listened to the podcast very much. Mm. Um, but he, I think essentially it's, it is that. Like, you are the the king of your domain, I think. like uh, It is that, and it is also, I've heard him say that, um, you know, we are built to serve a king. Mm. Uh, which, 
you know, talk, but again, and he uses that in a religious frame. And mm-hmm. there's there's something to that that really, I don't know, it strikes a chord in me, this idea, right? But yeah, like you, but there's this, but you're right. It is the other aspect of you're the king of your own domain, but you, but also who are you serving? Um, he's all, the other, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to try and express the philosophy in full because I haven't bothered to, I, I haven't gotten a full, full idea of it. I've more listened to his criticisms of you know the liberty sphere um and 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 kind of just taken those but i mean i think it I, i'm sure it relates because i because he said it it relates to mencius molbug's critiques of liberalism mm-hmm. um which i'm not super familiar with i can only like have a you know understanding only through these people that um really through these guys because when i hear mencius molbug talk i just find an interest i just hear an interesting person so i'm not really i've never heard him ar- articulate um uh, like his patchwork anarchy idea, yeah. or uh, what is it? Is that what it is? Patchwork monarchy, patchwork monarchy, I guess is, is think, like the culmination so. of his I, thought. Yeah. I haven't read, I haven't read his older stuff. I'm reading, mm-hmm. I'm currently devouring gray mirror, but I haven't read uh, unqualified reservations. So. Yeah. And, and so it's like, so I think I don't, it, there's this, there's this element of, you know, okay. So the, I don't, I, I've said this, I said this on the episode a few weeks ago that I recorded with my cousin. But it's like, okay, so we need a King again. Like, so we're just going to go. And, and so they'll be like, yes, because we're going through the circle and it's the fourth turning. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the fourth turning, but I am going to point out that Glenn Beck was talking about the fourth turning in 2014. It was all he could talk mm. about. Right. Yeah. Like, so, it was on, it was on lewrockwell.com around that time too. Right. So like these ideas are not necessarily there. I mean, they're, they might be new to you, right. Because you're just coming upon them, but it's like, so you're saying we should be Christians and we should check out the fourth turning. It's like, okay. So are we cultural conservatives? No, and I, I'm being I'm being disparaging when I say that. Sure, right. But I'm kind of but I'm doing that to point out the fact that it's not that we're the only ones to have contended with these ideas, or you know, the only people who are even ter- um, trying to conceptualize things in terms of a, a turning. Which is, from what I can tell, a little bit more what they're driving at is that we're uh, and and, I, and something that I agree with is I do think we're at like a turning of the world. I think that the progressive. I just I just put it differently. I think the progressive order, uh, if you will, of the last hundred years is failing us, right? Like this experiment in in monetary policy is failing. It's not, and it's it could be that it's just running its course. You know, maybe it's just a question of diminishing returns. Yeah, right. Why why isn't that why isn't that a logical thing to assume that when we have this, you know, we have this overarching world order that's incredibly complex that it wouldn't, you know, have a life, have a life cycle to it. Maybe it is, you know, we seem to look at history and see that civilization, various civilizations and societies have a natural life cycle to them. I'm just not going to put, I'm not going to put hard and fast times on that because I think that's, I think that's tea leaves. I think that's divination. What do you think of their claim that Dave Smith is radicalizing or is going to like start the next Proud Boys and that these Proud Boys are going to be armed and dangerous? Eh, you can say that about anything. Yeah. That, that, that's so I don't, I don't find that to be particularly profound. Um, okay. So I, I think what I'm, I think what I'm getting from you is that this particular little passage that you excerpted from uh, mm-hmm. Matt Erickson on that podcast is what you're focusing on. You're not yes. focusing on the kids in Yemen. Mm-hmm. You're not focusing on federal reserve policy. Of course you're, 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 I, and I guess really you're taking an individualist approach to it. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the thing that, that a, a methodological individualist would 
latch on to, really. And more importantly, and here's, here's the key, is I specifically say in the piece that I'm, I'm purposefully not addressing other things. Mm. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to focus in on one thing to try and demonstrate a broader point. And in the point, I'm talking about cognitive dissonance, which is something that we as humans face on a regular basis, right? Like this, that's, cognitive dissonance is more fundamental to humanity than taxation being theft. Sure. If you will. So it's, so it, the, so it's a question of causality. And that causality is, is actually what I talk about in the piece that you wanted to discuss, which is why we don't, like, why we don't need intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, why I've said for, gosh, I've said this for probably six years, I like to say the last thing I am is a libertarian. Yeah. Because I'm all these other things before I'm that. And, well, and everybody is that. Before we switch to that, because I do mm-hmm. want to get into it, because yeah. you, prom- you promised us your Teeming Millions uh, podcast episode on these pieces, and there was a damn oh, sorry. And one debate. more point, and because I'm good, because I'm trying <laughs> to increase my profile, I particularly wrote the piece that way. Like when I send the tweet out and I say, you know, one a one minute clip, but on Liberty Lockdown with Cyprian and Matt Erickson, yeah. you know, talking about Dave Smith tore libertarianism apart. Obviously, I'm trying to get you to read my piece, and it worked because it's one of my. It's going to probably be one of my highest pieces. That I writ that I write in my first year uh, of doing this of doing the Ben Awake project. Yeah, I mean, if if it was 2020, a piece on COVID would have been that, but now it's a piece on libertarian uh, divisions. So that's where you're going to get your eyeballs. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, but you were you were you were asking. I'm sorry, I cut you yeah, off. Yeah, no. Where where does the cognitive dissonance come in? I I I was not following this controversy. Like I listened to the interview because mm-hmm. I am fascinated by Matt Erickson's thought and I haven't watched enough of him. And, you know, I've, I've been an on again, off again fan of Vin or Cyprian, uh, for the better part of a year. So I wanted to know what they had to say. Um, one, so one problem with me is that I'm, I'm very, uh, easily influenced. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I, I take after my mom in the sense that I would probably be the first in line to join a new cult if, if I didn't have my guards up. Um, and she like she's super into the QAnon phenomenon, and mm-hmm. you know if I was in a different state in my life, I could see myself also being a Q guy. Yeah. Um, so I have to, in order to, in order to keep my brain um, healthy and my my own like individual uh, autonomy uh, intact, um, I have to approach people like Vin and Matt who are very charismatic and Dave Smith as well, um, who are charismatic and persuasive. I have to, I I can't just take what they say at face value. Otherwise I fall into um, like fanboyism where, and I did this last year. I mean, I, you can ask my, you can ask my partner, like everything was Vin Armani all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching his, and and there's some value in that. Like your the fourth turning is much older than the fourth turning book that was written mm-hmm. in the '90s. It it goes all the way back to the to the you know Indian um, caste system, yeah. uh, which we can talk about if you'd like. Although I think uh, Vin was on my show and did a pretty good explanation of it. <clears throat> um, so anyway, the. I I have not I I listened to that episode of of Liberty Lockdown. I didn't catch that there was a lot of libertarian cognitive dissonance, especially about this taxation part. Um, that doesn't seem like something that would be controversial. So what why I, is all this? So why was why was everybody going crazy? Why was this the dumbest argument that you ever heard? What not were people you. What were people even saying? I didn't well, even so, know, I didn't so, even know so that it was happening. 
This, yeah, this is, so, I mean, in the piece, I, I, sh- I put the tweet that shows the clip and it's this, it's a profile, life's, life's in the woods, know nothing about the individual who's responsible for that account, but it was posted, the one minute clip, which I read, you know, I read the little quote from, mm-hmm. and it says, this is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. So for the context of my piece, that's what I'm writing about. But, you know, and I, and I did purposefully label one of the sections, you know, headed one of the sections, the point, um, and I said, and all the response, and it's also my piece as well is also, again, more of a reaction to the responses I also received, mm. where I said, if you are, if you, what did I say? Hang on, let me make sure I get it right. Um, if you think real King Pilled is dumb for arguing a solution to taxation, which I probably wouldn't have used the word solution if I had proofread before I tweeted this, is to make more money, you're purposefully not understanding him. It follows that applying liberty means building wealth. That's not exclusive. I, th- I think everybody is taking that as exclusive. I don't intend that as exclusive, right? It's not, ex- it's not only that you need to build wealth. It's kind of like, it's again, Milton Friedman's critique of free markets are necessary, but not, re- but not sufficient for a free society. Um, but cognitive dissonance is a bitch is, wh- is how I ended the piece. And what I say in the point is um, part, of the, part of cognitive dissonance is that you ignore conflicting information, but it was surprising the degree to which people were completely misunderstanding the point being made in that moment. Perhaps the rest of the conversation muddied the waters too much, but the whole idea of pulling a clip is that what is being said in that particular moment is what's at issue. The irony is that that was one of the least contentious things said from a libertarian perspective. And then, and the point is, for me, is that's where I think skepticism comes in. And skepticism and like having that natural uh, or building those muscles of questioning the, the information you're receiving is how you, is, that's the bulwark for me of not getting too swept away by one ideological possession or another. And I've had my moments, right? Like I've had my, my Jordan Peterson deep dive. I've had my mm-hmm. Dave Smith deep dive, my Tom Woods deep dive. Where you know this person is everything to me, and there's st- and you know st- we talked about Stefan Molyneux on the last show, and I went through a lot of a long period of listening to everything that he was putting out, and there's nothing I don't I don't there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's you know I think if you want to be a whole person, right, and you want to take ownership of your thought, you don't have to take ownership of your thought in your mind if you don't want to. I'm not telling you to do that, but if you'd like to, because I believe ignorance is bliss. By the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to, like the way you the way you achieve that is not by just reacting to things, but trying to reflect upon reflect upon something and be like, what is this person trying to do when he's saying this right now? And I don't. So that that that's again, it's a very narrow. It's a very narrow case I'm making, and I think there's utility in just in driving into that narrow piece to try and you know to try and uh, create a broader idea. So it's ignoring that conflicting information. Obviously, we want to make money. Right. So why yeah. is it that people, why is it that people, why is it that libertarians, ostensible libertarians are, are rejecting that idea? And what I get back is, well, he said, you know, he said this somewhere else. And, you know, he's, uh, what was, what was the one, uh, it was the gentleman Jeremiah, who I think I'm going to go on his show. It was like, well, but he, you know, he said taxation isn't theft. I'm like, okay. But I, but I, I know that's not entirely true. What he says is render unto Caesar, which is a completely separate idea. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, it, there's listen these waters you know if we're gonna like if we're gonna analogize and we're gonna talk about like scuba diving right, right. like you know there's scuba the deeper you go the tougher it is to accomplish a task and mm-hmm. so the deeper we get into ideas because ideas aren't they're not neatly categorized the way that rocks and plants are it's it can be it can be muddy and it can get difficult and one thing that i 
again, one thing that what I try to do when I'm processing this information is, is, um, re is act out that idea of Plato Socrates, which is the midwife of ideas. Mm -hmm. So if I hear something that I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. How can I take this to make the best case for it? It's steel manning and making sure that I'm steel manning an argument before I bother, before I bother criticizing it. And again, this isn't to the larger context because there are things that I disagreed with in that post, in, in that interview. Um, but I, I don't see what's so wrong. I don't see what's so wrong in doing that. That's how I process information. It's one of the ways I'm sitting there like, yeah, libertarians should want to make money. So why don't they? Yeah. Right. And, and it, I think there is merit to this. I think this idea that are you, are you pro-liberty or anti-state? That might, and I think we might be seeing a burgeoning divide in that realm. And I don't think that Matt Erickson and Dave Smith are on different sides of that debate. Right. I think they're both pro-liberty. Mm -hmm. So it's, but, but I think there are people who might be listening to this, who, if you take a step back and you kind of remove the fact that Matt tends to be a little bombastic, you might be like, Hmm, maybe I do make too much of my identity. Right. And I'd like talking about identity in a philosophical context. Maybe I do make too much of my identity in opposition to the state. The same way in which a Republican, and I say this as a former, you know, Liberty Republican, Fox News consuming young adult, that too much, you know, the same way a Republican makes everything about the Democrats being a problem. You know, their, their, their existence is about criticizing the Democrats. And the Democrats, the Democrats uh, existence is about criticizing the Republicans. Like mm -hmm. last night, I, I was telling you, I was like, I, I ended up kind of, helping these this group of girls get from one club to another and they were kind of talking bad about some of the guys in my group and they're like yeah he was so mean and and he was and they're all they're all conservatives they're all concerned and it's just like okay for the love of god you know this is at two in the morning everybody's yeah. drunk and the girl the girl then looks at me because they forgot i was standing right next to them um and she goes she's like are you a conservative <laughs> or a republican and i go like and i kind of was just like what kind of a question is that I just looked at her right in the eyes. I'm like, what kind of a question is that? And then I kind of chuckled and said, I'm far more dangerous than a Republican. And just, you know, kept walking and kept trying to get these, you know, literally gave woman my shoes because she couldn't walk in her freaking heels and was complaining like a three-year-old. And it's, you know, yeah. So this is, this is the way people, this is the way people interact with things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I do individualism. That's what I do. I think it's better. And I think it's, I think, it's a natural tendency of, of human thought to automatically categorize things in terms of us and them, right? Like, who are we? Who are they? These are very, like, these, the reason why that language is so uh, vague is because it is so fundamental in a sense. Because, and, and it is ephemeral in that sense. Who are we? Who are they? What is us? What is them? The in-group and the out-group. And what I think happens, in, what, what this demonstrates is the degree to which there actually are you know, in-groups and out-groups operating within a various in-group, which is obvious, but also just demonstrates the complexity of what we're actually driving at here. And notice I've made no claims about any of specific points of what anybody has said, really, you know, save the ones that I've made about like, you know, this, this taxation issue, this taxation question, mm. or this wealth building question. I think part of the, part of the conflict, I guess, if, if it even is one, is, you know, we, Libertarian theory hasn't really evolved much since Democracy, the God That Failed. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're seeing we're seeing some stuff with the nature of corporations right now. Uh, it, it you know, Konkin dealt with that decades ago, but uh, it hasn't really it hasn't really entered the Rothbardian tradition until just now with the rise of you know what Michael Rechtenwald calls the Google Archipelago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, could it just be that people are getting bored? And you know, I mean, God, I've been I've been libertarian for or like identified as libertarian for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of getting tired of all the same arguments. So maybe now we should just start arguing about practical stuff rather than th- theoretical stuff. I think you hit the nail on the head. I really do. I think that's actually what's happening. And I don't think, I said this in my uh, soon to be released interview with Adam Patrick, there's nothing wrong with wanting to move ideas forward, right? There, there, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, so we have this, this, you know, libertarianism was developed, what, 50 years ago, roughly? Mm. You know, the Libertarian Party is 50 years. Rothbard was writing maybe a little bit before that. He's Mr. Libertarian as far as most people are concerned, or at least in, far as, in an American context, certainly. Um, so, you know, it's not even a century old, this, the thought. And it was one person, a brilliant man's ideas about something. Yeah. And we're trying to live those out. The same way in which Rothbard took Mises and tried to extrapolate from there. The frame, the frame that I view the world in is more that progression. We tend to get, I think, because we're limited creatures, and you know, maybe because of a historical, maybe because most people are more interested in his, history than philosophy. Um, you know, people tend to think of think in themes, think in terms of strict dates. You know, so this era was from 1945 to 1946. You know, but only in the summer months, and that's and that's what you know. That's all libertarianism can be to be to kind of like mix metaphors. There is a progression here from you know broader liberalism, which was a emergent social order that just sort sort of happened. That was then usurped. This is the way I would put it: usurped by uh, by the socialistic world order. Progressivism in the American context is how you would is how you would understand this, and. What we saw as a consequence of that was the distillation of the liberalism ideas into libertarianism. Okay, so what is this thing? So we had we had this really nice thing that we call liberalism, right? There's these the 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 early years of capitalism, this massive wealth explosion, a, a huge increase in the standard of living for the average person. How do we protect that? How do we exemplify that? Okay, how do we boil that down into the most necessary things? How about self ownership and non aggression? Okay, let's take those both both those ideas seem really really good. Let's take those and try to apply them in a political context. And so we're 50, we're 50, 60 years in. Why shouldn't we be having discussions of praxis? Why shouldn't we be having discussions of, um, of, uh, of how do you actually implement these things in the life? And why shouldn't we expect some disagreement amongst people interpreting this? Because Rothbard and Hayek didn't get along, right? We have this whole, you know, Reason and Mises, the Reason Magazine and the Mises Institute, you know, they don't talk to each other but they both ostensibly say the same idea. This is, you know, I think this is justification for my conception of the of identity as being a paradox of a kind. And so contending with that kind of, I think, is, uh, contending with that has been kind of the, uh, it's, it's the gravitational pull for a lot of the work that I'm, for a lot of the stuff that I've been writing. Are, are we tracking so far? Is that, like, tell me what you think about that. Because this is, this is like shaky theory ground for me as far as laying the stuff out. So I don't want to I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. 
because you made a good, and sorry, but because one more point though, because you made yeah. it earlier, like of just like fanboying. When I do an interview, I like to do a little intro where I say a, com- a good conversation is like jazz. Uh-huh. There's something to be said for, you know, a podcaster is somebody who knows how to have a conversation. Let's say that that's a skill, a requisite skill for podcasting, right? Um, you know, there's something to be said. If you're a musician and you're jamming with somebody, like, and if you're a dancer and you're dancing with somebody and it clicks, it's one of the most euphoric experiences in the world. It, like, if you're, it, artists know this. Anybody who's an artist who, who's collaborated, if you're like singing with somebody and you guys hit the harmony right, it's one of the coolest feelings in the world. Mm-hmm. When you have like that, and, and you as a, and as a viewer, you can appreciate this too, even if you don't participate. There's something to be said for that in the podcasting realm. And, and uh, you know, the natural comedic tendency, if you will, is to say yes and. And that exists within the podcasting space before. So it's very easy to kind of let yourself get carried away in the moment when you're in, because, you know, when we're in this mode of podcasting, it's very different than when we're kind of like sitting around a couch, sipping a drink and just having a casual conversation. We're trying to be on so again, if you're not careful, you can kind of find yourself suddenly like, whoa, where, how did this conversation get to where it is, <laughs> right? And to the case of, of, of the Liberty Lockdown, why are we talking about martyrdom? For the love of God, people. Like this is like, don't, don't talk to me about martyrdom. You don't know what that means. And, and, you know, and, you don't, and frankly, I don't know that you understand the consequences of it. So mm-hmm. let's be careful when we're using words like this. Let's be careful. I, I, you know, again, this is just a cautionary thing. Be careful if you're a new member of the Christian faith or if, you're, or if, if you found God, I, I, I'm envious of you, frankly. Um, if, and, and if that's true, then I wish all the best for you. But if you want to try and take God and reintroduce him to the political space, okay, let's take Chesterton's fence for a second. You think there might've been a reason why the Enlightenment chose to do that? That doesn't mean there's not value and meaning in religion. That means that, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea. And I think we're, I do think we're seeing some of that in, in these different players um, of they, is that, is that self-discipline? Is that self-control element of it that I think comes with, you know, that comes with time. And the incentive structure of podcasting isn't really there to uh, warrant that um, temerity, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so getting back to theory versus praxis, Mm -hmm. not getting back to, you were talking about it, but, um, you know, the, the communist revolution came around 50 years after the publication of Das Kapital. Mm -hmm. And so it does, it does worry me a little bit that we're having these fiery conflicts, uh, about the nature of libertarianism and its application in the real world. Um, we joke about, you know, the Boogaloo boys and wearing our Hawaiian shirts and stuff like that. I don't, I I don't know if you were at the Libertarian Party convention last year, but you know, I mean, half the Mises caucus was there in Hawaiian shirts. They weren't, they weren't carrying or anything like that as far as I know, but like, you know, I mean, that's, that's a very real possibility that, that, that Vin and Matt are right, Mm -hmm. that this is going to turn into a radical violent movement. And where do we go from there? I mean, if, if we, somehow, you know, stage some sort of revolution in the same vein of, you know, Lenin, who was just, you know, just acting on Marx's treatise that yeah. didn't call for revolution, I don't think. As far as I know, the 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 Marxian sort of progression was supposed to be a natural progression, not a not a 
not a burn it all down right now type progression. Mm-hmm. Um, That's such a good point. Yeah, because it was, you know, it, it was, it, but it, and it's the same thing that the progressives did with eugenics, yeah. which is to say evolution is pretty cool. Now let's speed evolution up. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, oh, communism sounds pretty great. Let's make communism happen right now. This is the libertarianism. Libertarianism sounds great. We want to take over the world so that we can leave you alone. But like, there's a lot that comes along with taking over the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, there are okay. So there's a generational element, but then there's also an age element as well Mm -hmm. to this, which is to say, you studying ideas at twenty is different than you studying ideas at thirty. And I say that as somebody who's you know pushing thirty. There's a there's a big difference between living in the university system, which is kind of created as this like little uh, little corral for you to go and have fun with, but you can't do anything outside of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, and then we have the internet to where, in where in the past you might have oh you know libertarianism is interesting, but I live in Texas and everyone here's a Republican, so I'm just going to be a Republican. Yeah, you know I'm just going to be a, you know oh I was a libertarian when I was in my 20s, but now I'm a conservative. Where that was the impetus, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago before the internet. Now with the internet, we've built that. You know, there is this for better or worse, there is this community of people who are built around these ideas, and we're talking people in the you know we're talking in the thousands at the very least, maybe even more, and and we can connect and we can push the ideas forward together with the, you know, with the technological revolution. But then we keep, and, it, and it's almost like we keep looking around and being like, wait, why isn't everybody else like me? When, you know, I don't think, I don't think you should, I don't think you should look at the world and say, everybody should look like me, right? That's, I think that's the mistake. That to me is the egalitarian delusion. There is a danger, of course. There is a danger in saying, okay, so how do we actually get power? Right, because there is safety, uh-huh. and people, liberty, people who want safety. There is yeah. safety. There is safety in being the exception. Right. There is safety in being the exception because you are not the rule. Mm-hmm. This is there is safety in being the person who is always in opposition to things. This is this is you know this is you could you could level this critique at me as saying like okay well you you claim skepticism doesn't that always mean you're going to be on the top of the fence and the answer is yeah kinda but that's where I'll like. <laughs> Well, right, but but you know, but that's where I'll say, but I am going to put myself out there. Yeah, right, and well, so I am. There, there's safety in it in a liberal society. I mean, there's significant danger in being the exception if you're in a homo- homogeneous society like mm-hmm. like communism or fascism or whatever. Is that and right? let's look at the last eighteen months. Haven't we yeah. seen that homogeneity assert itself? Mm-hmm. And don't we in turn feel like outsiders? I I certainly do. I'm very careful. Like I, I speak very freely. I, I will speak very freely to anyone who wants to listen, but I am very careful with just speaking freely to rant to strangers now. Mm-hmm. Whereas five or six years ago, I wouldn't be. I think some of that is a consequence of age, like I said, but some of it is a consequence of the times. Is understanding that people are so programmed now. If you're plugged, if you are plugged into the, if you're plugged into the corporate narrative, you are so. You are so ginned up against the same way in which people, it's the same, it's the same freaking thing in our minds. It's the same impetus to say, well, screw you, taxation is theft. I don't want to make money. Like, it's not just about building wealth. It's like, obviously, it's not just about building wealth, but I'm going to react against that. It's the same thing in which, oh, you must be an anti-vaxxer. You must be, um, 
you know, you must be a Republican. Are you a Republican? <laughs> and if you're a Republican, you might be a Trump supporter, right? Because he's a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Because he's a boogeyman. It, so this is, I think there's justification for us to feel this way, given the world we find ourselves in. And, you know, I think you're seeing some people push, and that's where we have this post-libertarian nomenclature, you know, term that's coming to light, which is, you know, kind of interesting, but I think it's going to run into the same problems as postmodernism, which is it's very ripe for capture. Yeah. Because it's well, very it's, ripe for capture. And it's undefinable, a lot like postmodernism. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would be my main critique of postmodernism, uh, is that you've got Jordan Peterson and um, what's-his-face, the, the objectivist who wrote the book Postmodernism, on one mm-hmm. hand, saying that postmodernism means this. And Michael Rechtenwald also falls into that camp. Um, but then on the other hand, you've got, you know, Thad Russell, like actually quoting Foucault to you, saying, no, 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 this is what postmodernism means. And take it from me, I'm a postmodernist. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the same would go for a post-libertarian thing. Um, you know, I, I, I hear Adam Patrick, I think, is kind of embracing this, this title and what he says is a little bit different from what, like, Matt Erickson says, um, if Matt Erickson is even a post-libertarian. I mean, I would, I, I guess maybe Curtis Yarvin is, like, the proto-post-libertarian, being that he came mm-hmm. from a, a Hoppian background and then became, you know, this monarchist. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know where I'm going with that. But uh, to me, post-libertarianism is just, it, it's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a spook at this point. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Well, it's it's kind of, but it's saying that hey, if I'm going to interpret that charitably, right? What where what I'm hearing very intelligent people say in the space right now, who are you know like someone like Piquinones is very uh, you know like for he's a very interesting thinker, and frankly, far more interesting now to me than he was a couple of years ago, yeah. as he's kind of like pushed beyond the boundaries of strict you know anarcho capitalism dogma. Totally, totally, and it yeah. and it is a dogma. Right there is a there is a dogmatic element to anarcho capitalism, mm-hmm. uh, the same way in which there's a dogmatic element to anarcho communism and any kind of strict interpretation of a set of ideas, and that's a and I would say again, given that the last thing I am is a libertarian, that propensity for dogmatism comes before you discover the ideas of libertarianism, just mm-hmm. as a just for how I conceptualize things and how I think other people should. Um. I don't, like I said, uh, the important part is I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning, right? In fact, it's kind of what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to push things forward. And what I see is people saying, well, it might be, it, as much as I would love to end the wars in Yemen tomorrow, I don't know if I can. I remember people, I remember people saying this to me um, when Trump was first elected. And it would be like, what can I do about any of this, right? Is what can we actually, what can we as an individual actually do to move the ship of humanity? If it even is a ship, like how do you actually, how do you actually, um, how do you actually redirect it? And can you, and maybe we can't because we don't have the institutional power. So you can either go after those institutions or you can build some of your own. And we saw we saw one example of this and like, you know, the rise of like the think tanks and the media outlets and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I think we're seeing I just I think in part, you know, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. And like I said, there's there's danger of capture here. There is and I and I am if people are listening to this, I hope that they hear me when I say be really careful when you start when you start quoting the word of God in this political context. 
because in some because you're either because you're triggering things in people that you don't maybe that maybe you do understand and you just you know and you're willing to take the risk of it but there there's there's a danger there you know you can this is how to be to you know to use an extreme example this is how jonesville happens right this is it is the beginning point of like where you can create this particular cult and i don't mean that in a pejorative sense i'm using that in a technical sense mm-hmm. you know this particular a particular cult of people that in turn actually maybe you just end up where you started where you still have this insular little club that's not interested in um in expanding ideas beyond that but uh, this but that's, this isn't to say don't go for it and this is the final point that i wanted to make with this is there's the generational elements at play here too, where we, here we are, as like you said, you've been a libertarian for 10 years. I'm, pro, I'm, I'm getting close to that at this point. There's no, I, why, why shouldn't we see a progression of thought within the school? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we see people trying to you know, change and update elements for the times? Because times change, right? Like the application of ideas is specific to the time and place in which they exist. We, we could, what, what good is a conversation about freedom of speech in a in a in a t- village of twenty people, yeah, probably pro- pro- probably not a big one because you're not because you're gonna know those twenty people because they're all your cousins. Yeah, and and I mean, even if you even if that village of twenty people like has in their in their village bylaws or whatever that we respect the freedom of speech, the social pressure is going to be there not to speak your mind. I mean. Mm-hmm. Or, well, and, or yeah. to, to speak your mind diplomatically, at the very least. Which because, we're doing in this conversation. Yeah. Right? I, I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, it's way different. Like you say, uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your thing about Twitter? Um, it's oh, the, Twitter it's, is constant it's in, in, go in ahead. group signal. Yeah, Twitter is constant in-group signaling that the out-group sees. Yeah. So, and, and, and if, if we had like our own little Liberty Twitter I think that the conversation would be completely different from the way it looks on like actual Twitter right now. I think. I mean, we probably wouldn't be as mean to each other. See, I think that's what Twitter does. Like, like the point, like one of the things of Twitter is to, um, how did I put this? Uh, the, the point of Twitter, like the problem, the, the Twitter, because you can read, if you choose ignorance, you can ascribe whatever context you wish. You wish. And there's nothing more ignorant than taking 140 words that somebody says and assuming everything about them. Mm. Now, that's fun for because you can then dunk on people and signal to your in-group, right? Like, there's that's very fun to do. This is like I wrote yeah. about that uh, the Steven Crowder situation last week where he went on the H3 podcast and then like Sam Cedar does the surprise thing. And everyone's just like, and it seemed like a lot of the people are like, well, you know, Steven Crowder sucks, but so does the other guy. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, <laughs> but... As a as a creator, you know, as somebody who does a show and like, you know, there's an element of professionalism about it. And I don't think that was very professional, right? Yeah. I don't think it was very professional to do what the guy Ethan did. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody like Crowder who has a big show to uh to say, All right, no, I'm not I'm not talking to you. This isn't what I agreed to do. All right. And that having been said, let's bring on my surprise second guest, Cyprian. Welcome to the show. I would love to, I would really do because I, because I, I would really love to speak with Cyprian because I don't, I really don't know anything of his thought. And I want to, um, I don't know if I would love to, but I wouldn't be opposed to. Let me be, let me, let me be more precise. Um, because I don't want to ascri- I don't want to ascribe too much to him based off my perception of him. But I'll be honest, my perception of, with, with, of him is not positive. Sure. 
Like that's just my initial perception of him. That doesn't mean I'm right. Um, it doesn't mean he's wrong. Uh, it just means that maybe we wouldn't be friends. I think if you really, I mean, if you're if you're interested, actually, uh, go check out his series from like 2017 or so called the. Uh, oh God, I forgot the name of it. But basically, he's going through the the kind of proto fourth turning uh, cyclical view of history. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ascendant Project, that's the name of it. And then okay. listen to his interviews with PQ from last year talking about the Dim Age and. Uh, you've got a pretty firm grasp on why he's saying what he's saying now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you have to separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit on that. Um, He's, in my opinion, this is, but let me make make a point on that real quick. That is always the case. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's something it is. And I'm not, it's, it's one of those things that are simple. It's simple yet profound, but it's also simple. It is always the case that we are separating. You should always be separating the wheat Mm -hmm. from the chaff. You should always make, you know, you, you should make sure that the people that you surround yourself with are good people. Like, you know, this is, this is in a cosmic, if you want to put it in a cosmic sense, fine. The cosmic sense, if we're going to be Christians about it, that's for God. That's not for yeah. me to decide. And I won't speak for God. Thank you very much. Well, and I went from a complete Venormani fanboy to literally calling him an asshole on Twitter, like tagging him in everything. Sure. So, but here we are talking about him. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, Weak minds talk about people. Let's uh, let's let's bring it back to ideas. Um, let's do it. And actually, I think Gal- I was reading that quote because um, you talked about earlier. You said that people prefer history to philosophy, mm-hmm. and that that makes sense. Average minds talk about events, and strong minds talk about uh, ideas. Um, I think probably galaxy brains talk about putting those ideas into practice. So, like future events, maybe. Yeah, I think I've said this on your show, and but I'll say it again because it's really important. That was actually um I used to be somebody that was way too caught up in theory. Yeah. And it was it was the it was life experience of getting a job in like yeah. in the manufacturing world that was this complete 180 from this, you know, more academic and retail background that I had. It was like, no, it 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 actually does matter that your crane is working properly because you've got 10,000 pounds of steel holding it up. Mm-hmm. And if that falls, that crushes a man and he dies. And, you know, like, and there's been, thankfully, none that I've been around for. I haven't had to witness it. But I hear stories of a uh, machine malfunction and a guy got his arm, a young guy, like a 20, 22-year-old kid got his arm cut off, you know, because, it's because he was wearing too baggy of a shirt and it got caught in a, in a machine. Uh, like, you know, somebody getting, cr- a, a truck driver getting crushed because he wasn't paying attention when they were loading his truck and all the material fell off over him. Yeah. So there are real, it is practice. There is only practice. It's all well and good for us to have the philosophical conversation. And I love having the philosophical conversation, but I recognize the importance of putting it into practice because mm-hmm. without, because there is without action, we only have thought and thought isn't it, what thought is just this thing that we do in abstracto. And it has no, it has no consequence. If you have no like, if you have no praxis, if you have no practice or application to your ideas, then you are of no consequence because you're not you're not actually doing anything. You're just kind of like you're just the monkey hitting the button that's stimulating your brain. Yeah, and you can do that as a smart person. You don't have to be a dummy <laughs> for that mind. to be the case. You can do that. You can be a smart person and still hit that button. Yeah. Um. Let's so let's switch gears a little bit. You mm-hmm. wrote these pieces and actually you've you've brought it up um in saying the last thing you are as a libertarian mm-hmm. uh on intersectionality and i i not to toot my own horn but on august 29th 2017 
uh, I posted this in the Tom Woods Show Elite Facebook group. I put a link to the uses and abuses of intersectionality. And um, it's written by a feminist author at newstatesman.com. And I said, I'm writing something about intersectionality. So, of course, I'm reading about it first. This mm. article stood out. I thought it was inter interesting. If she took it about two more steps, she'd be advocating decentralization and individualism. And so I came to that conclusion three years before you did. So mm -hmm. kudos to me. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about intersectionality and what it is and uh, what its logical conclusion is? So my understanding, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't pretend to be um, an expert per se, but definitely more well-read than the average person. So I'm not a I'm not a James Lindsay, and I'm not a Kimberly Crenshaw. But and there's two points because there's always the there's always the philosopher and then the follower. There's always the person who puts the thought forward, and then there's the people who take that thought and run with it, which is. By the way, something that we're we're witnessing both in terms of Dave Smith and Matt Erickson. For the record, this is a natural human thing that we do. Um, so Kimberly Crenshaw was a legal academic, and I believe it was the paper she wrote in 1999 entitled "Demarginalizing the Intersection of Race and Sex: A Black Feminist Critique of Anti-Discrimination Doctrine, Feminist Theory, and Anti-Racist Policies." Um, she lays out, and so I'll just I'm just going to read the quote because it would probably be best because this is like what I found. This was more. This is part of her introduction, so this should hopefully give us something. Um, so she says, "I will discuss how it contributes to the marginalization of Black women in feminist theory and anti-racist politics. I argue that Black women are sometimes excluded from feminist theory and anti-racist policy discourse because both are predicated on a discrete set of experiences that often does not accurately reflect the interaction of race and gender." These problems of exclusion cannot be solved by simply including black women within an already established analytical structure. Because the intersectional experience is greater than the sum of racism and sexism, any analysis that does not take intersectionality into account cannot sufficiently address the particular manner in which black women are subordinated. Thus, for feminist theory and anti-racist policy discourse to embrace the experiences and concerns of black women, the entire framework that has been used as a basic basis for translating, quote, women's experience or, quote, the black experience into concrete policy demands must be rethought and recast. In other words, as I write in my piece, critical race theory teaches us about how pervasive racism is and feminist theory teaches us about how pervasive sexism is, but both discriminate at the intersection of black women. The ways in which society discriminates against that group is unique. This, uh, the idea certainly has been expanded now from that narrow legal interpretation, but it belongs to a school of thought that thinks the world is only about conflict and subjugation of one group under another. And that's, that's actually, that's the crux of it. So to, re, to summarize and reword it one more time so that it sticks, you know, women are discriminated against Blacks are discriminated, black men are discriminated against, but also black women are discriminated against. And that's different in the way in which black women, uh, black men are discriminated against. And, you know, women, generally speaking, white women are discriminated against. So we need to have this intersectional model mm -hmm. where we actually examine each unique portion of um, <laughs> the, each unique portion of the identity so that we can understand the way in which uh, that is, you know, that might manifest itself in discrimination law or anti-racism, as she says there. Now, the impetus or the, the, the inspiration for this piece came from listening to Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Pagot talk. And, you know, so like I didn't figure that I'm just I'm just reinterpreting Jordan Peterson here <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Um, 
because, you know, and, I, and, uh, and I'll read the quote from him. And because he kind of says, like, I think I, I was doing the math the other day is, is how he uh, talks about it in the interview. And if you go to binawake.com, it is behind a paywall. But between now and September 9th, I am offering a lifetime discount of 50% for people who want to, you know, give me some money uh, to help support my work, to help spread my message and to help bring better sense making to the world. Um, but so you can you can go and read this if you want. I have the YouTube video clip played as well. But so here's so here's Jordan Peterson. So again, this isn't I'm not pretending to be amazing, right? I'm putting I'm putting ideas together so that people can consume them. How many categories, this is Jordan Peterson speaking, how many categories do you need to add in an intersectional analysis before you're actually down to one in a billion? Let's use 100 as an example. If you have six categories with a probability of 0.1, then you're in then you're one in a billion. So you need just six dimensions of intersectionality before you fractionated the population down to the level of the individual. So that means the individual comes sneaking back into the collective ideas of postmodernism. You know, he says postmodernism, yeah. we would better understand this as intersectionality. Once you hit six intersectional categories. So if you're a multiracial woman, bisexual, 27 years old, smart, 30th percentile for attractiveness, 10th percentile for family wealth, and 80th percentile for education, you're the only one in the world like that. So intersectionality, um, if I was, you know, you, the, the whole piece is, I would think, very well laid out. I, I tried to write it in a more philosophical lens, which is to say it's, it's a little on the dense side purposefully so that you're kind of thinking through everything. I look at it, to be simple about it, I kind of look at it like this. All intersectionality accomplishes is inverting the racial hierarchy that progressivism established. Do you think that there's utility in that, though? In, in what specifically? Like, in, in, do you think that there's legitimate utility in breaking society down into these um, not quite individual parts, uh, into race, into gender, into um, race as it relates to gender? I mean, th to me, I was, I was actually just talking to James Riley about this. It'll be the, 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 the episode that comes out just prior to this one, I believe. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the reason that libertarians have not gained political power is that we are a bunch of white men, for the most part, who don't have skin in the game. Yeah, we don't like taxes, but you know what the hell? I mean, it's it's not like it's not like we're going. We're, it's not like we're starving due to taxation. Mm -hmm. We don't like war, but it's not like we're the ones being bombed. On the other hand, and and we don't like and and we don't like cops. When a white person is killed by a cop, it's shocking because it's not normal. When a black person is shot by a cop, it's normal, and the shocking thing is that it's not shocking. I think that that's a legitimate thing to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, to an extent, I guess, I don't have a problem with the progressive narrative, the woke narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that they weren't as authoritarian about it as they are. I wish that they, I, I think that there's a lot of hyperbole in it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's legitimate. Like I, I live in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have we don't have cops driving down the street all the time. I, I have never felt unsafe by my neighbors or by the cops. Yeah. That said, I might having come from an upper middle class white background, maybe I just don't notice stuff that my neighbors notice. It's possible. Um. So, is there merit? Sure, of course there is. 
like, of, of course, it's worth focusing on the individual, right? It's what intersectionality, which is part of a broader school of, which is part of the broader critical school of thought, mm. right? Critical theory and critical theory is a derivation of Marxism and Marxism is a derivation of Hegelianism. Yeah, there is, of course, merit to trying and understanding the plight of marginalized people, if, if, if we want to put it in language like that. That's not the point of my piece. The point of my piece is that we don't need intersectionality to accomplish that because we need, what we need is individualism. And what intersectionality and the broader critical, critical theory does is it, pits, it, it necessarily pits groups against each other. And perhaps groups are, and perhaps there are going to be groups at odds, mm-hmm. groups at odds within society. But I don't think it follows from that that those those uh, groups at odds are necessarily racial in in nature. Um, but I recognize the historical precedent of what you know the larger American you know the larger American story is as it relates to racial segregation and and racialist thinking. Mm-hmm. Again, what it, but what does intersectionality actually do? Well, it just says the most oppressed person is the best. Based off this, based off this early twentieth century notion about a hierarchy of races, that was established by people who didn't understand what they were talking about. But, right? They were wrong. So, is that is that baked in? I, I have not read the part the the article that you cited, um, Kimberly Crenshaw's mm-hmm. paper. Is that hierarchy of well? That that victim hierarchy, I guess, is yeah. that is that part of her theory, or is that something that's evolved since she wrote that in 1999? I would I would Obviously say it exists. It, it's part of the evolution. Okay, which is why I, which is my why I make the specific point because yeah, you read that it's an academic paper, and there's mm-hmm. like I said, there is merit there. There is merit to consider the way in which a black woman might be might be discriminated against in the legal field that is maybe slightly different than a white woman or a black man. Mm-hmm. I, that's I, that that's a logical thing. Let's explore it. What Jordan Peterson points out, and what I'll and what I will back up, is once we reach six levels of intersectionality, we're back at the level of we're, we're back at the level of the individual. We're at, you're at one in a billion as far as like what that represents in mathematical terms. So it's not that it's 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 a very it's a very nuanced point, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and this is and you know you were talking about political power. This isn't a matter of politics. This is a matter of you know this is a matter of understanding the world in and of itself, I would say, and how you should approach the world as well and how you should then in turn examine the world. Um, and this is, and I think the obvious solution to this is, 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 uh, is Mises' methodological individualism, is to make the point, right? It's not just that we're taking this, okay, individual is an esoteric thing. We're making the point of saying when we examine a social issue, we're going to start at the unit of the individual and see how that, and see how that plays off. And that would obviously incorporate seeing the way in which different individuals, um, different individuals have the you know different indiv- sorry different individuals' experiences differ. It, it, like it would it would it incorporates that. The reason why intersectionality in part I think exists again is is what what is the tradition of thought there? The tradition of thought there is is the polylogism. The tradition of thought there is the fact that there will always be an oppressor and an oppressed. There will always be groups fighting against each other, and it wasn't the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. So now it's going to be, um, now it's going to be race and gender, and most and may, and perhaps most importantly, from the standpoint of the evolution of thought, there are people who want power who will corrupt that, 
will, will corrupt the maybe noble notion in Kimberly Crenshaw's piece. I won't speak to I won't speak to her state of mind because I don't know it. Um, the noble there there will be people searching for power. You know, specifically in a leftist context, right? It's it's this that's the element that's the problem, and and then that's at most a problem. And so the second half of my piece, what I'm doing is what I do is I demonstrate in here. Um, I kind of just point out that in we see this, we see something like this in nature, actually. That you know, if you're going to create a pulsar map to try and map a point in space, you tend to use like at least six. I think it's uh, blah, 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 blah. well, I said that what I said here is, and this is again. So the point here is that intersectionality resolves itself into individualism at six degrees. So therefore, why do we need intersectionality? That's that's my thesis. Um, and I say in the piece, if I was trying to direct you to the Sears Tower in Chicago. I might tell you it's the two. It's at two three three South Wacker Drive, Chicago, Illinois six zero six zero six. I could also say the building is located at the intersection of West Jackson and South Franklin. To be even more precise, I could use the coordinates forty one degrees fifty two minutes and forty three seconds north by eighty seven degrees thirty eight minutes and nine seconds west. All of these measures measurements will get you to the same destination, but only one gives a unique enough location that it can be plotted relative to any other point on the Earth. You'll notice that longitudinal coordinates use six data points to effectively map the skyscraper's location. Similarly, if we plot the location of a planet in space, we need at least six data points. Then there is the case, uh, at least six data points. Then there is the case of the Voyager product project. The golden record included in the probe created a galactic map by, by using the nearest pulsars as a way to map our solar system's location. And then, you know, kind of an explanation of what pulsars are. Um, so that's. I think it's. I think individualism is just by definition a better, a better understanding of how to of how to approach these situations, right? Like the I, conflict I, that element. Sorry, but just one more point because the conflict yeah. element is then where it is is what makes it politically beneficial to people who want power, because then it becomes Black Lives Matter and not stop killer cops to borrow from Scott Horton. Hmm. I. I understand. Yeah, I, I so I totally get that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that conflict and power are inevitable, and I all I also think that in an industrial uh, society where Marx was writing, the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, and the capitalists were the the natural conflict. We no longer live in that society. It it was really tough. I, and I said this in my last interview. I apologize for repeating this analogy, but I'm saying it for you now. Um, it was really tough to build a factory. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't just go buy, like the, the, the average Joe on the street could not go buy a factory. The average Joe on the street now can publish a website. He can make a lot of money on YouTube. So it's no longer about the economic class of people. Um, but there are still people who are downtrodden. And a lot of that aligns with their race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know, I don't necessarily know that it was like some, like, like Dave Smith a lot of times says that the, the Occupy Wall Street movement um, so threatened the powers that be that they had to take the focus off of these economic classes and make it about race. And I think that there's merit to that argument. And, I, and, you know, I think it was very convenient for them that it did change from economic class to race. But that doesn't, to me, mean that these conflicts don't exist or that they're completely fabricated. Do you think, that, uh, sorry, do you think that I'm arguing that? 
I think you might be. If you're not, okay. then... No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I wasn't sure. Um, so, I don't... I wouldn't say that they're imagined. Like, I, I don't think that the collective experience of the black community, the black, you know, black Americans, I don't... There, there's an... There's this element... Uh, this is, and this is a political problem um, in that po- politics is the problem. Not that it's something for politics to solve. Where you know you're nece- uh, you know what? Let me do it this way. But what were we? But what were we discussing before we got into this? We're talking about theory, and then we're talking about the application. Yeah. Yep. And we're talking about the and we're talking about the application of this. The application of the broader critical theory, broader critical theory, and Marxism in general, and you know, even if you want to get even more general, maybe even leftism, to me is one of the most is is like the worst thing in the world you could do for people. We talked about, we started this episode talking about mindset and how empowering I find. And, and, you know, I don't care if you, and listen, if you don't like this, then don't listen to me. There's, there's billions of people on this earth. You don't have to listen to me and that's completely fine. But I found it empowering to take responsibility for my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And you hear these, you hear these black dads at, uh, and moms too, at school mm -hmm. board meetings all the time. uh, But talking about how you're, you're, you're abusing my kids by telling them that they're victims. Stop it. And, and you know what? Here's the other thing, James. It's it's like I um, I I know a lot of really smart people who happen to be of African descent, which is to say, I know a lot of smart black people. I know a mm-hmm. lot of smart Mexican people. I know a lot of smart people in in all type and from all walks of life. And I've never, I have never, I never grew up in a world where I thought about who some what somebody looked like before I thought about who they were. Maybe that just means I was raised better than most. I don't yeah. know. Like, but, but that was never, it's, this has never been a part of my consciousness of like, of, of oh, is this, you know, is this person going to do this or that? I'm not, I'm not, again, sorry. I'm kind of like all over the place because I'm trying to make sure, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'm being, I'm being careful here. But there are countless middle-class Americans who happen to be black, who have achieved a massive amount of wealth for themselves and they didn't do it by, they didn't do it by by being a parasite on the system and, and preaching intersectionality. They did it by working hard. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, and Thomas Sowell does this, I think, better than anybody else given, you know, and it was just his 91st birthday and God bless that man. He deserves all the rest in the world. And it is a tragedy that he will not go down as one of the foremost American minds of the 20th century because he won't. Because he, t- and he will, it, 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 unless we can bring him to the fore. But he talks about it very well, what it was like growing up. I think everything you believe you grew up in Harlem. Hopefully I didn't get that wrong. Sorry if I did. Um, but he talks about it very well. I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything about being black that means you can't get ahead, if that makes sense. Um, and again, we're talking about the practice and we're talking about the impl- implication of this. This in- intersectionality in that is it applied, in that I recognize it. I'm not, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I, c- I can always be wrong. And I'm sure if I was talking to somebody who was, who was an expert in this field, like a Mark Lamont Hill, that, you know, he could talk about pedagogical norms and why it's necessary to have these sort of discourses so that we can create a great understanding. Fantastic, dude. I love the academic discussion. Let's get back to the practice. What does this look like in practice? In practice, this is, this is pitting people against each other for arguably no good, I would say no good reason because we can still understand the plight of an individual and try to come to and, and try to come to some kind of conclusion and some kind of resolution to that matter. If and 
but people want the conflict, I think. And or better said, people in power want the conflict because it perpetuates their power. I don't know. Maybe I'm not maybe I'm not being clear. I can't tell. Given given that it's it seems like human nature um is geared towards tribalism and us versus them. Mm-hmm. What does practical individualism look like within within that context? Mm-hmm. I think it recognizes that fact, and so you guard against you guard against that becoming too rigid. Mm-hmm. So th- that that's the way I would put it. Like, you know, kind of just talking about my own personal experience and how I've grown up. It's one of those funny things where it's like I kind of like I'll look around at my friends and be like, oh, this is a pretty. Yeah, we're actually a pretty multi-ethnic bunch. How about that? Like it just it just happens organically for because I've because I surround myself with people that are interested in ideas. And and so that's that's what I'm interested in doing. I've um I've talked about Nietzsche's conception of the herd and I wrote a piece uh and you know this is this is kind of nascent and it's not completely fleshed out but it's like I I I wrote this thing where I said find your herd. I don't think there's anything wrong um I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting your own tribe. And if your own tribe includes people of your particular ethnic makeup, because that's what you're comfortable with, I might not love it. It might not be my choice, but I can, but as, but again, if we're going to, but I think in the basic context of how do we get along in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial society, I think you have to recognize that people are naturally going to do that in, in, in certain instances. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it also is, but individualism is also the means by which you can move move beyond that too, because you can see the and you know this individualism is maybe a philosophical idea that you know incorporates a Christian element entirely, right? Because the other way we see this in part done is through you know is through is through like a religion like Catholicism, right? or maybe pre Vatican too, but certainly certainly you know Catholicism has this universe has this necessary universal element versus Protestantism, which is kind of like bifurcated into a million different sects. Whereas Catholicism has all those sects inside of it. Mm, yeah. So does libertarianism for that matter. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> and then there are people saying that libertarianism is Christianity without God. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, people say that about progressivism too. And they're right in both cases. I know. <laughs> because, right. well, they're right in both cases because either God exists and so therefore, you know, he created the world, blah, 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 blah. Or Christianity has had a profound impact on Western civilization. Christianity and um, and, and, and Hellenistic philosophy, right? The Socratic method has, those are, that's the melody and the counter melody of Western civilization. That's what it is. That's the basis for it. The ideas at the center of it are what has built, has built Western civilization to be what it is with all of its, with all of its pimples and, you know, blemishes and all that stuff. It's, I, I don't see that. That's the, that, I will say that too, about this larger conversation of saying like, Oh, libertarianism is Christian. Yeah, of course, because we're in because we're in the West. Because most of you were raised in the Catholic, were raised Christian. Because we live in the Christian world, we live in Christendom. We might not call it that today, but that that is the that is your um, you know who says this better than anybody else is Camille Paglia, right? Because she's she she talks about how she's an atheist, but she thinks that the Bible should be taught because that's the foundation for western civilization and if you don't understand the bible you don't understand you don't understand the society that you live in you don't understand the civilization that you find yourself in and now let's get a little more granular cuz we're really really big if you start with the wrong questions you're going to end up with the wrong conclusions right so it's like oh well you know if i if i say 
that the world is a horrible place and everybody's racist. And so I'm going to act in the world. Like I'm going to act in the world as if everybody I come across is a racist. Think that you might find some people that will react against that mm-hmm. because of the because of the various body cues that you're giving in, in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Like if you walk into have you ever been mad and walk into a place and then be happy and walk into a place? Have you noticed that it's different? Right? Have you noticed that if you start your day, like seriously, this is this yeah. is the practical everyday thing. Have you noticed that when you start your day having a bad day, that the end of, that the rest of the day doesn't go very well? The other day I was like sitting in traffic and there was a like an accident and I didn't move for 30 minutes and I started to have an I had like a mini panic attack of like, oh my God, there's so many people. I just want to live in the middle of nowhere. Right. And I got home and I'll be honest, I wasn't that productive when I got home that day because I was kind of like, I kind of like just got, I got out of myself. That's like all of 2020 for me. Yeah, right. Or like I didn't get a good night's, I didn't get a good night's sleep. And so when my coffee, you know, when my coffee uh, spilled all over me and then my coffee spilled all over me as I left the house, like, you know, and I had to change my shirt. And so I was late to an appointment. Like in practice, if you look, you know, it's funny as I've been um, given the fact that everybody's kind of talking, they're talking about religion is cool again. You know, it's, uh, I've actually been meditating on um, the Bible verse, seek and you shall find. Because I think there's, I think there's a huge practical element to this of, again, if you go, if you are, you know, let's say if you go out and think every white person is racist, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to find a racist. Yeah. Right. And and I think you're, and you're going to notice a racist before you notice the 20 other people who are just passive to you. One of, one of Curtis Yarvin's best points, I think, is if you're a, if you want to create a bunch of Nazis, just tell people that they're Nazis. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're a fourth grader and you're called to the, the school counselor's office and excoriated for your racism when you're not really a racist, I mean, there's a really good chunk of 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds who are going to take that message and be like, you know what? If you want me to be a Nazi, I'll just be a Nazi. Fine. Yeah. It's, you know... So, well, it must, I must be that because everybody is... T- and by yeah. the way, that, that's what I'm talking about, that it just inverts the racial hierarchy. Yeah. Because what did the dominate... What did progressivism tell black Americans at the beginning of the 20th century? You are less than. You, don't, mm-hmm. you can't marry a white. You can't have property. You, you can't do all of these things. It's, all it is is... I, I, I've, I've said racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control in America. Yeah. All we're doing is changing the focus of the racism, man. It's still it's still stupid to it's still stupid to keep insisting upon these racial categories. And it's that still disempowering black people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> you know what? It's ah, but see, I don't know if it's disempowering some, but there's a lot of black there's a lot of black Americans who are make, who are getting very wealthy out of this. Right? Yeah, that's true. They're, and, they're not, and, maybe maybe not as wealthy as the the very white Robin D'Angelo. But. Correct. <laughs> and I hope um and I look forward one day. I mean, I think I I I'm um I'm not so uh What's the word? I'm not, I'm not dumb. So like, I get that two, you know, Caucasian guys having this conversation makes it different. Right. And frankly, I would have, if I was, if I I can't wait till, you know, I get to a point where I can sit across from maybe somebody who is a little bit more on the intersectional scale Mm -hmm. and we can try and have a conversation and see if we can remove ourselves from ideological possession to come to some sort of agreement. Um, there is here's 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 an interesting thought that I've been that I've had recently. There is this one thing we are witnessing, and I think it says the power of the internet, and it's actually a pretty cool thing, is the elevation of black consciousness, of the American black experience and American black consciousness. Mm. And there's an element of this that is entirely positive, right? Because 
I, talk about a people. I, I, I know, I don't know if this stat is accurate, but I've heard it before that if you took the wealth of black Americans, strictly black Americans, that it would be like the 10th wealthiest nation on earth. Like just, just that by itself. So, I mean, like it's a pretty rich group of people. Um, but we're seeing this elevation of this black narrative and the black narrative has, was built as being going back to a point we made before as being the exception, right? They were the slaves. They were the less than they were the outcasts of society. They were designed. It it was engineered to be that way Mm -hmm. by the government, by people in power. I, I, I would not deny any of that, obviously. Um, so and importantly, by the labor movements. Yes, the labor movements too. That's a, a fantastic point. Uh, and, and then the book that everybody should read if you haven't already is, is Thomas Leonard's uh, Progre- Ill- Illiberal Reformers, Pro- Race, and Pro- Race and Eugenics in the Progressive Era. Mm-hmm. And this, it, lays all, it lays a lot of this stuff out really well in, uh, in, an, in, a, in an economic historical take. But we have this elevation of, of the black consciousness, of the black narrative, if you will. And this narrative is entirely um, hung up on the idea of being out of power, right? So what is, and now a lot of those people are starting to gain some semblance of power in institutions like universities and so on. Mm-hmm. What tools do they have at their disposal? They have the tools, if you will, you know, we can, we can quibble with this, but I will call it, we have the tools of progressivism, right? We have the tools of this, of this socialistic central authority, um, mental, central, you know, centralized planning mentality. So they take those tools and they run with it. Why wouldn't they? That's what we do as humans. Mm-hmm. Most of these people haven't been exposed to the ideas of liberalism as, expound, as, as, as espoused by Locke, right? In fact, they're saying we shouldn't be teaching people like Aristotle anymore because Aristotle talks about slavery in the wrong way. <laughs> Even though he doesn't, it's just a, it's just a, it's, right. it's a, it's a misunderstanding and a misapplication. It's a purposeful misapplication of what the words mean. So, that's what I mean when I say that it all it does is invert the racial hierarchy established by progressivism. And as far as, as far as the last hundred years is concerned, it was progressive ideology that put whites at the top. And yeah, okay, it came a little bit before that. But as most people will point out, not really, because chattel slavery is a very particular institution. And once slavery was abolished, Jim Crow was its own, you know, was, was its own form of uh, was its own form of, of slavery, I guess, if we want, or just or legalized discrimination. I'm not sure how I would put that. Um, which, by the way, I'm not sure how I put that. That's the important. That's why you should write. If you're, you know, that's why. That's why I do write is so I can put things in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's. But so so it doesn't surprise me that that's what people do because that's the operating paradigm, right? And because that's what the mainstream notion is. And what do they call themselves? Liberals. Right, because the progressive, because progressivism completely, leftist progressivism completely subsumed liberalism in America. Mm. It completely, it completely replaced it, and it co-opted it, and it, and to the point where, as Hayek talks about in his intro to the Road, Road to Serfdom, is that he published, I believe, in 1944. I could be wrong on that, um, but when it was published in America for the first time, he said, you know, I use the term liberal in its appropriate sense, something to that effect, and that. Uh, you know, and that for some, some some curious aspect of American life has created a created a situation in which liberalism means nothing. So, if what we if what we think we are as Americans are broadly liberal people, but we're not but we're not practicing liberalism in the correct way, of course we've been led astray, right? The same way the same way in which if you follow if you follow a preacher who isn't who isn't actually preaching the word of God. Who isn't actually um, 
who isn't actually concerned with the eternal salvation of his mm. flock, which is what the which is what a pastor is supposed to be, the shepherd. Of course, that's of course that flock will be led astray. And I think there should be humility in understanding these situations. And but but humility and and humility humility doesn't mean subservience. And everything about intersectionality is about subservience in practice. Mm-hmm. Everything is about subver- everything is about subserviating people based off their race, based off based off the con- based off the color of their skin, based off where they fall in the hierarchy. And so you say, okay, well, you're just a cis white heterosexual man, so of course you're going to say that. Sure, but wasn't that? But and this is this is that leftist principle that malice that malice delineates so well. Or maybe it wasn't malice, but he's the one who he's the one who introduced me to it, which is when I when I don't have power. I ask for freedom of speech because that's according to your principles. But when I do have power, I take it away because that's according to my principles. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, the big takeaway from this entire, gosh, almost two-hour conversation. I is, knew we were going to hit two hours. I know. <laughs> is we should be seeking personal empowerment and not institutional power. Yeah. I, and that, that well, is the, or, and we should build our own institutions as a consequence. Yeah, because I think institutions are probably inevitable. But yes, um, and institutions crumble and fail. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's the that's the that's the message of Matt Erickson, of Dave Smith, and of our intersectional interlocutors. Yeah, well, or, or, or or at least the best the best outcome for them. So, so we we started this concept that we uh, when we were talking about intersectionality, you brought up a very the very valid um, uh, counterpoint, which is isn't there something to this? And what I say in the piece in part two, um, I I quote uh, I quote human action from Mises, and I make the point that Mises delineated methodological individualism fifty years before Kimberly Crenshaw ever wrote about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say Kimberly Crenshaw is wrong to write about intersectionality. I'm saying that it's not the case, and this is what you learn the more you study about history and the more you study about the realm of ideas, is somebody came up with this. The issue wasn't, the issue wasn't that nobody had this thought. The issue was that thought wasn't being taught mm-hmm. because, this, because this person is anathema. Why? Because his ideology isn't suited <laughs> His ideology isn't suited. His the Austrian school of economics is not suited to run a super large central authority, mm-hmm. a super large government that is going to have billions of dollars at its disposal to fund universities. Right. So it's so and so it's lost to history. But here we are with this technological revolution to where we can examine the stories of the past and we can find the best. You know, and we can carry the best forward. And that's by the way. That's what libertarianism is, in my mind. And that's why I won't, I haven't rejected the label. And I probably won't. It's because I see it as carrying forward these, these brilliant ideas about humanity. And, and, I think, and I think, to your point, what you were saying, what the takeaway is, I do, like, you know, I just, I just act, man. I try to treat people well. I try to be respectful. But I also try to be the best person I can. And here's the kicker. If you're going to make it you versus me, I'm going to win. So let's not make it you versus me. Let's work together. Right? That's because, and why, why shouldn't I think that way? Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, By the way, that you versus me thing is also the, like, the most dangerous thing you could say, <laughs> what I just said. Because if it's you versus me and I'm going to win, you know, like that kind of, that kind of traces to your point of like what actually happens if, if there's real radicalism 
present. Yeah. It, it 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 does, and also you don't know if you're going to win. I mean, it could be it could be very dangerous for you, mm-hmm. even if you're confident in your ability to win. Yeah, right. Well, and and but it's also like I'm going to win, but and if I lose, then okay, but I'm going to win. So the only way I'm going to lose is if you kill me, right? I will die, I will not I will die on my feet. Mm-hmm. I will not live on my knees. These are this is the like. You know, again, just with these conversations, it's so interesting and just, you know, and my personal thoughts of like trying to get back, you know, maybe going back to church. It's like, but I, I remember the stories, right? And I remember, and what are the stories of the Old Testament? The old, at least the ones that's always stuck out to me. The story of Jacob, when the, when the Pharaoh, right? I think I got the story when the Pharaoh asks him to bow before him because he's a God. Mm-hmm. What does he say? I bow to no man. I bow to no man. And I suggest you don't either, but I'll follow, I'll follow somebody who's got the right things to say. Maybe multiple somebodies. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, Cause it is getting hot in my office and I want to turn my air conditioner back on. And I'm sure you're in a situ- similar situation. Midwesterners don't tend to have central air in our apartment yeah. uh, buildings. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's all window units and it gets really, t- really hot in the middle of the afternoon in the summer. So cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, LB, for joining me again. Um, why don't you plug away what you got to plug? If you like anything that I've had to say, or even if you don't, please go to binawake.com, subscribe with your email, follow me on Twitter and join the conversation. You know, I've been writing for about a year now. My next step is to try and build community around it. And it's uh, and hopefully, and hopefully, I can accomplish that. But I can only do it if you go to binawake.com and subscribe with your email. Cool. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks again to LB for joining me today, and of course, thanks as always to you for tuning in. If you haven't already, head over to blackbird.substack.com to sign up with your email address to receive all of the podcast episodes along with any written content that I release. And if you really like the show and you'd like to get early episodes, bonus content, and premium articles, sign up for one of the paid options, and you'll really be supporting me and this project that I'm working on. Don't forget to head to blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas to sign up for Renegade University's Texas Weekend down in Austin with Thad Russell and Buck Johnson, Scott Horton, Hotep Jesus, Cody Wilson, Deirdre McCloskey, and Jack the Perfume Nationalist, along with me and about 100 of our closest friends. I promise you, it's a ton of fun. You're going to meet new people. You're going to eat great food, drink great drinks. And who knows, you might learn something. So with that, this is another episode of Blackbird. I will see you on the next one. And until then, live free. (laughs) 